Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Thanks for tuning in. I have one hell of a show lined up for you this evening. A show filled with monsters of all sorts. So let's not waste any time getting to it. Childhood is supposed to be the time of innocence. A life free of stress, trials, and tribulations. But unfortunately, that's not the case with many. A bad home life, tragic events, or illness sometimes forces certain children to grow up much earlier than they should. There's another aspect of childhood that also seems to take its toll, sometimes leaving its mark well into adulthood. The experience is different for each child, but the results are typically the same. A crippling fear. A fear born of many different sources, but having a common origin. The paranormal. Tonight, I'm going to explore a few stories that involve a young person experiencing something that shaped their childhood. A run-in with something so terrifying that their lives were forever changed. Proving that sometimes it's healthy to have a fear of the dark. Our first submitter was inspired by last week's caller, Bonnie, whom, if you remember, described her encounter with two strange-looking humans with large heads. This is Tig's Call. Uh, I was listening to Bonnie's story on your podcast, and uh, my mouth hit the proverbial floor. I have a very similar story. I grew up in Northern California. I had a 70s childhood. Our neighborhoods were pretty free and full of kids. We spent a lot of times outdoors, uh, adventuring, we like to call it. I had two friends that I was very close with. I'll call them Marvin and Bryce. Now, Bryce and I had a lot of sleepovers. Uh, His parents were pretty cool, as was my family, and so we spent a lot of time playing together. I'm thinking back, and I would guess I was about seven to eight years old, so roughly around 79, 80. Uh, On one particular sleepover, we had a 
very spooky encounter uh, as we stayed up past bedtime and watched television we were for whatever reason drawn to the window outside uh, in the dark suburban neighborhood uh, there were some street lights and we saw on the side of the street a man walking and he looked funny one of the things we could make out about him was an irregular head long and almost melon like uh, I would say more like football shaped at the top even but still uh, dappled skin dark and blue and pale he had sunken eyes and very little hair and in fact seemed naked uh, although I don't remember anything that looked like genitalia so uh, anyway as he walked he stretched his arms were long his fingers uh, they got long. Uh, his legs grew long. He moved in a very disjointed way. We screamed and closed the curtain. I could feel it at the window. Bryce was crying. Uh, my great aunt came into the room, followed by my mom. And our night came to an end. As Bryce wanted to go home to his parents and not sleep over ever again. Uh, I didn't see Bryce for a few weeks. But we, we hung out with a bigger group of friends, um, you know, playing and having fun. And eventually, uh, he and I ended up playing into the evening. And then the streetlights you know, came on. Uh, I remember we were playing on a street that connected his block to mine. And he started to cry and point. And I looked, and at first I didn't see anything, but then, sure enough... Behind a car was the thing again, getting up, ducking into shadows, watching us. We ran back to our separate homes as fast as we could, and unfortunately I didn't hang out with Bryce much anymore. I don't have a lot of other information on the story. I was very young, and I am no longer in contact with Bryce. We haven't been friends since our early childhood. Uh... Hearing Bonnie's description, those parts came rushing back to me and I sat with tears in my eyes and allowed myself to recall as much as I could. Thank you for listening. I actually have a lot of stories I can share with you and the listeners. and I will call in another time and share another. I love the show so much. Thanks. Thank you, Tig, for sharing your story. There was once an old woman in the town I grew up in that had some sort of disfigurement. I can only assume it was arthritis of some sort or perhaps some spinal issue, but her body was twisted and bent. She had a very large hump on her back, her hands were knotted in a pile of fingers, and her face had its fair share of large moles and age marks. Looking back now, I have a great deal of sympathy for this poor woman, but as a child, I was terrified of her. It wasn't so much that I thought she was a witch, nor did I think she possessed evil powers or a basement full of delicious children. No, my fear was nothing like that. My fear was actually much more grounded, much more primal. You see, I was terrified that I would end up like her. I'll be honest in saying that my story really has nothing to do with Tiggs other than this. Perhaps what he saw was simply his town's unfortunate soul. An old man with a disfigurement. 
a man whose appearance was so hideous that he only ventured out under the cover of night. Of course, I'm spitballing here. I don't even know of a disease that causes a deformity like Tig described, nor does that explain the fact that the creature witnessed seemed to be naked. Perhaps, like Bonnie's call last week, it was one of the so-called melonheads, or even something more aligned with the Dover Demon. If you'd like to learn more about the Dover Demon, check out Season 1, Episode 5, to hear more. Thank you again, Tig. I appreciate your time, and I look forward to hearing your other stories. Our next submission is one I received several months ago. I've been waiting for the right time to share it, and this seems to be a good place. The following story is from Anthony, a story that was relayed to him as a child by his parents, a story that appears to have had a lasting effect. This is Anthony's Call. First, I'd like to say I love the podcast It seems to be an awesome outlet for people to share their stories. So uh, the story I have uh, is not mine, but that of my parents. They told me the story for the first time when I was about 13, and it's uh, fascinated me ever since. Uh, But we've never talked about it since. So just the other night, I sat down and had an interview-style conversation with them about it. So this is it. This was in the 70s or 80s. Uh, So it was way before I was born. Uh, My parents... I'm just going to call mom and dad to keep them anonymous. They were working on a youth presentation on backwards masking, which is a form of subliminal messaging when a phrase or dialogue can be heard if you, for example, play a song backwards, which was a popular thing for bands to do on records at the time. They were uh, focusing on the albums that were said to have demonic themes, along with specifically Pink Floyd's movie and album The Wall, and some popular video games uh, with demonic subliminal messages. One night, they uh, pulled into the driveway uh, that is on the right side of the house. Dad got this very heavy feeling about the left side of the house, which is where the room is. It's completely unlit by a street lamp, and it's just this heavy feeling. Just don't go over there. There's something over there. Don't go over there. Well, they went inside, and they uh, did some laundry and got ready for bed and all that. And my mom, during that, my mom was having these thoughts that like interrupt her what she was doing and he would just say you don't want to go into that dark room because i'm in there and i'm going to scare the hell out of you and at every doorway to a dark room she was given these thoughts uh they both felt there was definitely somebody in the house so they get in bed and shut the door because they uh, keep the kittens from getting in there they both sat there in silence and mom brought up this feeling to dad of someone being in the house, and he strongly agreed. Not much they can do, so they just lay down, get comfortable as they can, and um, this wham on the door, just with the force of a full-grown man smashing his fist into their, their bedroom door, not something two little kittens were capable of, and it was too high up on the door for them to ever possibly do that. They jumped, and they're paralyzed in shock, sitting in bed, Finally, they gathered the courage to go open the door and look around, and they absolutely did not want to get out of bed. They were so terrified, but uh, of course nothing was out of place, nothing was abnormal. They uh, searched the house and went back to bed, nothing else happened, so they were eventually able to uh, fall asleep. So at uh, some point in the night, 
dad woke up, and at the foot of the bed, he saw a spirit or a demon of some kind. He describes it uh, with red eyes, not like beaming red eyes, but just the soft glowing eyes, red eyes. Um, he couldn't tell if it had pointed ears or or like a cloak with a high collar on it. Something was just pointy around its head. From the almost silhouette figure, he could see the shape of the cheekbones and a nose and could not see any details beyond that. It was it was solid, yet transparent. He had trouble describing it. He could see the closet door behind it, yet it was so like tangible. So uh, the farther down its body went, the, uh, the, the, the more transparent it became. So he was laying there and he can't move because he says it feels like the sheets were holding him down. They were just just pinning him to the bed. He didn't lose his ability to move, like his power to move, but he couldn't because the sheets were just pressing him in the bed. Uh, they were just so heavy on him and he couldn't breathe because of that. He couldn't yell. He couldn't do anything. So scared out of his mind. He's thinking this is the end. This is how I'm going to die. He thinks he's going to die right there. You know, he, he knows this thing is here to kill him. And all he could do is just close his eyes. And in his head, he just prays in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. He just repeats that. Next thing he knows, he's waking up in the morning with an overwhelming peace and no fear of what had just happened that night. And uh, mom had felt the same peace. She wasn't afraid of anything that had happened. All the feelings have, had gone. They, they just can't describe how peaceful it was. Uh, meanwhile, though, that same night, uh, their friend Arlene, who was working on the Pink Floyd's The Wall with them, uh, had a visit as well. Uh, she had a dog in the backyard who, of course, would bark at anything. And it didn't bark that night at all. Yet. She also got the massive bang on her door as well. Just a just an inhuman strength pounded on the door. So after checking the house, um, just like my parents, didn't want to go. What she did, she went back to her room to do some more work on the project. And the room got cold all of a sudden. This is Arizona, Flagstaff, Arizona, in July. And the room gets so cold she could see her breath. And next, the perfume bottles uh, on the dresser behind her were all being knocked over uh, by something unseen. And that was the extent of her experience. So after that night, they decided to quickly wrap up that project and get all the materials, the, the materials like the uh, the CDs, the books, and the posters and everything, get them out of the house and into the garbage and uh, unrelate themselves to to all that until they got the, uh, until they got the, presentation done and that's that's their story as for me i don't doubt the story one bit uh me and my parents have a very close relationship very trusting relationship they're not paranormal sensitive this is their only experience we're uh we're a christian family so i don't personally believe that human spirits roam the earth Um, i think they go to heaven or hell and they don't linger on earth because you know god can't make up his mind or something but i absolutely absolutely believe that there is a world right here in front of us right under our noses that we just can't see with our simple human eyes unless it's revealed to us so anyway that's their story thank you for listening and i hope you can use it on the show 
Thank you, Anthony. As I've mentioned before on the show, I'm not a religious person, so I don't put a lot of stock in the demonic message talk, but I do know that many bands used masking on some of their albums and songs. My personal opinion on this is that it had less to do with the devil and more to do with record sales. But that's just me. The messages, which are usually dark, are fairly interesting, so I encourage you to jump on over to YouTube and check them out. They certainly do sound pretty creepy. All that aside, the shared encounter is very interesting. Your parents' experiences alone are fairly easy to pass off, but combined with the experiences of your friend, they seem much more substantial. I especially like the fact that the temperature in the room drops so much that condensation could be seen. The last thing I will say is that I wish your parents would have given me all the Pink Floyd material instead of throwing it in the trash. I'm sure some of that stuff would be a collectible at this point. Thanks again for sharing your story, and please thank your parents as well. Up next is a story that took place overseas. This is Luigi's Call. My name's Luigi, and I'm a big fan of the podcast. I've been listening since the first few episodes of Season 1, and everything has been awesome. Uh, This is a bit late, but I finally decided to share one of my stories. Uh, Just a quick background, I'm living in Canada now, but I spent my first 19 years in the Philippines. And back home, one of the more common ghost stories uh, occurs in churches, hospitals, and colleges. My story is from my old college. It is situated in Manila, the capital city, and is inside what they call Intramuros, the walled city in Manila, the Spaniards built during colonial Manila. Manila has suffered many tragedies and was almost completely decimated during the Second World War, so there has been a lot of death in the area. Uh, Anyway, on to my story. Uh, My college has a covered basketball court in the middle of the four buildings, and on each of the longer sides of the court are bleachers. On the back of one side of the court is an elevated stage, Uh, So stage, bleachers looking to the court, then court, then bleachers again. Uh, One afternoon I was sitting on the bleachers with my back turned away from the stage. There were a lot of people that time playing ball or in the bleachers. Uh, There were a bunch of guys too playing ping pong at the stage. Two of my classmates were sitting a few seats closer to the court, a fair bit away from me. Uh, They being silly with each other, and one of them said my name just because they were being too silly. Uh, I was just happy, uh, happily looking at them, not really paying attention. Then a voice behind me uh, loudly whispered my name, Luigi. I was surprised. I turned around and looked, but no one was there. Uh, Just the stage and the ping pong players, and they were far from me. No one was near my side or behind me at all. I asked my friends if they called me again, but they said they weren't, uh, as they decided to look at phone photos. I looked around for anyone who knew me or had the same sounding voice as one, uh, as the one who whispered, but I didn't catch anyone. Uh, now, well, well, it it was. Uh, weird, 
but it wasn't really a sign of spirit activity. Uh, maybe my brain is playing tricks since it sometimes uh, happens when I'm about to sleep and maybe my brain makes sounds that I think are real. Can't really prove anything paranormal. The following year, however, in one of my physics classes, I randomly asked my seatmate for any ghost stories just for small talk, and talk she did. She was a cheerleader for our college, so they usually practice in the court. One evening, about almost 11 p.m., they were in the middle of a dance routine when the floor standing speaker at max volume suddenly just got cut off. Keep in mind that the floor standing speaker was placed in the elevated stage and all the people were on the court. So uh, no one was on the stage when this happened, so they checked the speaker and it was turned off. Maybe they thought the cord was pulled accidentally, so they checked and it was not. They turned the power back on and it worked. They continued the practice, and after a few minutes, the speaker turned off again. They checked another time, and it was working fine. Maybe something was loose. They turned it off and on uh, again and continued, and it had no remote control to speak of because it was older, uh, but it was in fine condition as the school used it regularly. Uh, it was beginning to feel weird for them. I just wanted to add that they had the speaker on max volume, and they had those turning knobs. Uh, the power button was separate from the turning knob, so it wasn't confusing to use. The volume knob was twisted to the loudest setting so the sound could reach the stage. Uh, they continued for a third time. This time, however, in the middle of the dance, the volume got softer and softer until no music was heard. They went to look again, but... This time the speaker wasn't turned off, but volume knob was twisted to the softest setting. Someone had to physically turn the knob from loudest to softest, but no one was on the stage. Uh, it was scary for them, so they all decided to call it a night. Uh, that was her only experience with the weird stage. Anyway, uh, there are a lot of weird stuff that has happened in the school. And I knew mostly second or third hand accounts and anecdotes... The weird stage was one thing, but uh, one of my friends had another story. This one I asked him personally. It was almost 7 p.m., and he had to go to the men's washroom on the first floor of the north wing before this class starts. He went and passed handicapped stalls, uh, which had an open door. It was empty. He was alone in the washroom. He was looking in the mirror as he washed his hands, and then suddenly he saw a lady in, in white walk from the door straight to the handicapped stall. He was surprised and embarrassed because there was a girl in the men's washroom. He was going to tell her she was in the wrong one, but when he looked at the open stall, there was no one there. He ran out. Uh, he hung a bit just to see if she ever got out, but she didn't. He said he never used that washroom ever again. Anyway, uh, that's it for now. I know a few more ghost stories from uh, the school and the surrounding areas. And I had... Two other personal things that happened to me, not to mention the weird stuff my family has encountered. But for now, great job on the podcast. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, here's hoping for many more seasons. I wish you the best. Thank you, Luigi. 
I always enjoy hearing encounters from faraway places. It's like sampling local cuisine. It's a really good way to get a firm grasp on the local culture. Thanks again for sharing. Before we explore our final call, I want to sneak in this short experience I received a week or so ago. Hi, Derek. Um, so this is a little story that happened when I was about four years old. Um, it's short, really short. But, um, uh, so I was living in a town 40 minutes inland from where I currently live now. I still have family there, so I go quite often. But, um, every time I woke up about, uh, three or four in the morning to get a glass of water, uh, there were voices that were maybe in my head or in the actual house. Um, but, uh, they just kept calling my name over and over. And we had a dog. Uh, her name was Allie. She constantly barked at things that weren't there, either in the backyard or in the house. And, um, so it was just, I might be part of overactive imagination of a four-year-old or maybe something else. Anyways, thank you and have a nice day. Thank you, caller, for sharing your encounter. I'm hoping that this will encourage others to call in their short encounters. They don't all have to be epic calls. Sometimes these brief experiences open doors to other stories, and sometimes they fit perfectly in a themed show just like this one. Thanks again for sharing. Up next we hear from Tara. Although Tara's encounter took place in her late childhood, it still seems to have a significant effect on her. This is Tara's experience. Hey Derek, uh, my name is Tara. I love the podcast. Um, I just want to say before I get started that I really hope that honest um, people continue to call and share their encounters on the show uh, because it's just been uh, really great and chilling so far. Um, recently, one of the episodes actually inspired me to call. I've been trying to get myself to call for a long time, and um, a striking similarity prompted me to finally uh, give you a call. So um, this story takes place about 20 years ago. Um, I was about 18 years old, and I was staying at my uncle's house down in Ocean Pines, which is a community just outside of Ocean City, Maryland, which um, is a big tourist uh, community. Um, I was the only person awake in this house. Um, it was it was pretty late at night, and I was watching television uh, by myself. Um, the only thing illuminating that room and the two connecting rooms, since the front of the house is sort of an open floor plan, um, kitchen, living room, uh, dining room, uh, the only thing illuminating any of those rooms at that moment was the little TV that I was watching. Um, I should mention that in order to get into the front door, 
you have to walk up about six or seven steps. It is a one-story house, but it uh, is elevated. Um, I, I, as I said, was watching television, and I got uh, thirsty, and I decided to get up and walk over to the sink and get a glass of water. Um, above the sink is a window, and um, I went to turn on the faucet, and I looked up, and sort of gazed kind of out the window and suddenly realized that I was looking into a pair of glowing eyes um, that were looking in at me. Um, these these eyes were not parallel with my own. They were maybe, maybe just right about where my chin or my mouth is. Um, I... I would describe them as red or orange, but that's not quite right either. Um, they were sort of like faceted, like fire, you know, or something that has many sort of different colors in it, uh, depending on like, you know, angle or something like that. There was, they weren't static, you know, they weren't like a solid color, like looking at a, a light bulb or a brake light. They were sort of more alive than that, if that makes sense. So naturally, this really startled me. And um, not knowing the layout of the house, I just reached out and flipped the nearest switch, which very unfortunately happened to be the garbage disposal, which came on very abruptly and very loudly and scared me, um, of course. And I, I, you know, quickly turned it off and started groping the wall and, and trying to find a real light switch because that was the that was my instinct at the time. That was the only thing I thought to do was uh, I need I need light because that will keep me safe somehow. I didn't really think at the time that all that putting a light on in the room would do would be to illuminate myself uh, and making myself more visible to anyone or anything outside. Um, I didn't think that. I didn't think about that. So I, I, I finally found an actual light switch and flipped it on and looked out uh, the window again and, and didn't see anything. Um, and it was harder to see now that there was a, a light on in the room, harder to see out into the dark night. Um, but I didn't see anything. And I, I kind of didn't really look very hard because I didn't, I didn't want to see anything. Um, I was so convinced uh, of what I had just seen that I I almost didn't even need like another look I know that doesn't make sense and it seems sort of like counterintuitive like you would want to look again and see something but I was I was really afraid um, I was really afraid and I realize that um, it sounds very crazy and I and that's why I haven't shared this story very many times but if there was someone or something standing outside of that window looking in um, that person or whatever would have had to have been eight or nine feet tall um, in order for its eyes to be where they were where I saw them um, you know, there have been, I, I've only told this story, as I said, you know, a handful of people know this story. Um, uh, you know, people have suggested, well, maybe there, they were brake lights that you saw. Um, which, uh, for a lot of reasons, isn't possible, but mostly, the only way that I would have been able to see brake lights is if a car was parked on the lawn um, between houses and and pulling out you know backwards or doing something weird like on the lawn itself and that 
doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm sure somebody would have noticed that, you know, there there was a car driving on the lawn. Um, uh, you know, somebody else suggested, well, maybe it was somebody playing a prank. And I don't know how much sense that makes because that person would have had to know that I was going over to the sink. Uh, and, and they would have, you know, they would have run over and, and, I don't know, looked in with a pair of glowing, like, scary eyes. Uh, you know, it would have probably required, like, a lot of thought and prep. Um, in order for that to have been a prank that just for that one split second sort of paid off because they waited for me to come to the kitchen sink. I, I don't, you know, I, I've been over, under, around, and through this this incident in my mind, you know, um, hundreds of thousands of times and looked in it from all different angles and it, none of it ever makes sense to me and I can't really get it to sort of make any logical sense and I'm hoping that just the same as I did, um, that someone will hear this story and they'll be prompted to call in and say, you know, I saw something kind of similar or, you know, at least maybe something kind of similar in the same region or around the same time. It was, um, it was the late nineties. It was, um, it was 98 or 99, I believe. And, um, uh, you know, up in the Northeast, um, in, in Ocean Pines, Maryland. Um, so that's my story. Um, I love the show again, Derek. Thank you so much, and keep it up. I'm going to keep listening. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Tara. As you described your story, one thing kept popping up in my mind. Sasquatch. The eye shine, the height of the creature, the curiosity of appearing in the windows, it all lined up. But there was one aspect of the story that gave me pause. The fact that it took place in eastern Maryland. Although the BFRO, the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, reports 71 sightings of Sasquatch or Bigfoot in the state of Maryland, the state seems fairly quiet as far as the phenomena goes. So let's just assume for a minute that it's not plausible for the sighting to be of a Sasquatch. What other logical explanations can we go to? To me, I could only think of two. Tara describes the eyes as alive, not a lamp or brake lights. So perhaps she simply saw an owl or a cat, either sitting on the windowsill or on a nearby branch. Now I realize these explanations are rather mundane, but I think it's just as likely, if not more, that an owl or cat could peer in her window, as would an eight-foot-tall undiscovered ape. But there is another explanation that later came to mind. Not necessarily a logical explanation, but certainly an exciting one. Many of the Mothman witnesses described the creature being eight foot tall with vibrant red eyes. Of course, Ocean Pines, Maryland is at least a nine hour drive from the TNT area of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. But then again, the Mothman was said to fly at speeds reaching up to 100 miles per hour. Thank you again, Tara, for calling in. I'm not sure what you saw that night, but it sure is fun to speculate as to what it could have been. Thanks again. And that does it for tonight's show, but before I go, I have a small favor to ask of all of you. Please take five minutes out of your day and rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. I know I sound like a broken record about this, but it is very important to the show's growth that the reviews keep coming in. You don't have to write a novel, 
Five stars and a simple line or two about why you like the show will suffice. A few minutes of your time can do wonders for the show. So if you're a listener and you like what you hear, please help me out, and more importantly, help the show out by rating today. While you're at it, follow the show on Facebook. I share all kinds of things, and I encourage you guys to engage as well. Let's get a discussion going. And while you're at it, follow the show on Instagram and Twitter as well. Cryptid Crate is blowing up. I'm getting set to send out the first shipment early next week, so if you're a subscriber, keep an eye out for that. If you're not a subscriber, get on over to cryptidcrate.com and order yours today. And finally, to submit a story, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or, as always, you can email me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com or submit through the Report Your Story tab on the website, which is monstersamonguspodcast.com. Thank you to the amazing Warren Pawn Abbott. He took time out of his camping trip to record a story or two for me, and if that's not dedication, I don't know what is. Thank you, Warren. And as always, music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.